sprach Zarathustra von Richard Strauss. It's kind of hard. In English, uh, we don't put the S, H, and T together like they do in German. We say Strauss, and they say Strauss, okay? Yeah, so you got to get that S, H, and then the T right after the S, H. I don't, I don't think English speakers are used to doing that. But good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here, along with Dan from Georgia. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm getting healthier as I change my diet because I'm having to do the poor man's diet, right? No sugar, no, no sweets, no GMO food, right? And the more I wean myself off of a mainstream, the, uh, what I like to call the industrial diet, all the fake food, like fake fat, uh, fake protein. Yeah, there's all kinds of fake food out there that is making us sick, and people, you know, oh, margarine. Uh, you know, uh, the less fake food you eat, the healthier you get. That's all there is that to it. That stuff is poison. It is. It's absolute poison. And uh, I remember in the days uh, when uh, when margarine became popular, and I'd go to restaurants because I was often on the road. And, people, and the restaurants would serve margarine instead of butter. I said, oh, wait a minute. I, I asked for butter, ma'am. <laughs> I asked for butter. Oh, sorry, you mean you that's don't like we... plastic? No, I don't like to eat plastic, even if it looks like <laughs> butter. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be doing part two of Genesis chapter two. But uh, just a little bit of review before we get started on that. First of all, I just happened to be thumbing through uh, Halley's. Bible handbook where he discusses the seven days and here's what he says whether they were days of 24 hours or long successive periods we do not know the word day has variable meanings in 1 5 it is used as a term for light in 1 8 and 13 it seems to mean a day of 24 hours. In 1.14 and 16, it seems to mean a 12-hour day, and that's obviously the evenings and the mornings metaphor. In 2.4, it seems to cover the whole period of creation. <laughs> all seven days, okay? All seven yams. In such passages, passages as Joel 3.18, Acts 20, uh, sorry, 2.20, and John 16.23, that day seems to mean the whole Christian era. In such passages as 2 Timothy 1.12, it seems to refer to the era beyond the Lord's second coming. And in Psalm 94 and 2 Peter 3.8, one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. This chapter is not a treatise on science. <laughs> <laughs> Yet its harmony with present biological and zoological knowledge is amazing. Okay, so just wanted everybody to, to know that there are other rational Christians out there besides us. Okay, all right. Okay, so, oh yeah, and then also I wanted to go into Genesis one twenty six that particular verse, so let me open my, okay, because we kind of glossed over this because uh, we didn't check out the meanings of two very key words in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, and uh, which reads, and God said, let us make man in our image, because we were talking about the archetypal theory 
of the Elohim being the pattern, the, the spiritual um, electro living bioenergetic pattern of Adam kind. And the word image comes from the Hebrew word tselem, from an unused root meaning to shade, a phantom. That is figuratively illusion, resemblance, hence a representative figure, especially an idol image vain show. Okay, so the word image or tselem contains within it this archetypal uh, you know, idea that we have been suggest- suggesting here. And then after our likeness, likeness is demut from uh, the 1819 resemblance, concretely model, shape, adverbially like, to be like, fashion, like, in like manner, similitude. Okay, so the, the suggestion again here is a spiritual likeness from which the physical form is created. Uh, I think uh, our suggestion that Elohim in in Genesis chapter 1 is a a reference to archetypal beings. Uh, And I think think the archetypal beings apply to every creature that was created, but specifically to Adam kind, the Elohim are the archetype for man, uh, Adam kind. All right. That's the suggestion here. Your comment at this point, Dan. Yes. Well, none, none of the other races can make this claim. That's right. And those created in Genesis 125 can't make the same claim that the ones who were made in 126. That, right. You know, right. that were made after their likeness. Yes. So we uh, and and, and uh, I've been talking with Michael Swede and he uh, he 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 pointed out, I think, uh, in a conversation we had that on the island of Sardinia, which is in the Mediterranean Ocean, there are all kinds of monuments to giants. And all over the world, cultures have uh, legends of them having to deal with giants. Okay, And, uh, of course, the evolutionists don't want to talk about giants because that throws a monkey wrench, (laughs) literally, into their theory of evolution. Okay. But giants did exist. The Bible says there were giants in those days in every culture on the face of the earth, except modern materialists and evolutionists deny it. Okay, and they actually destroy evidence. You know, they destroy bones of giants. Where uh, and there's even movies of these giants. Uh, people, uh, there's still a remnant of uh, giants giantism left in the world today, although it's pretty much bred out of existence. Okay, we'll t- talk more about that in a bit. Uh, especially when we get into Genesis chapter 6 and the fall of the Elohim, the, the Nephilim, those who left their first estate. And uh, we'll be talking about how in the world could they materialize uh, with uh, in, in violation of Yahweh's laws of materialization, okay? So anyway, uh, this is what we'll be talking about in the future. Now, uh, and in, incidentally also, we, we talked about the host, the heavenly host, to, for people who might have missed that show, the mass of persons, <laughs> persons or, or figurative things, especially regularly organized for war and army, by implication a campaign, literally or figuratively, for some reason it says 
hardship, I don't know, so uh, hardship, worship, battle, army, company, host, soldiers, waiting upon war, warfare, okay? So the host, it's uh, the first verse of Genesis chapter 2, is telling us that there's all these heavenly beings that were there when the, when Yahweh Elohim created the earth as we know it, and uh, probably uh, the rest of the universe, although it may not necessarily be the rest of the universe, because not the, the whole universe wasn't destroyed by that catastrophe that uh, is evident from the gap theory, okay? So the earth, however, did have to be recreated and uh, uh, started anew, okay? So, so I, where did we leave off, Dan? We left off with Genesis 2, verse 7. 2, verse 7. Okay, so let's, yeah. uh, let's start out with that and recapitulate what it says there. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, one more thing. Uh, there went up a mist from the ground, and uh, probably won't have time to talk about that today, but we can talk. When we get into Genesis chapter 6, we, we can talk about the canopy theory and the fact that the planet had much denser atmosphere before Noah, before Noah's flood. Okay, very important stuff. Back to you. Verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2, And Yahweh God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Okay, so something special was done to the man Adam, and of course the word is for, formed from Yatsar and not bara. Okay, so so this this man Adam was not a special creation, but a special formation. So the species was created in Genesis chapter 1, the Adamic species. And here in Genesis 2-7, a particular man, Adam, was taken by Yahweh and something special was done to him. Okay? And the dust of the ground is simply the atoms, molecules, of whatever it takes to have a human body. His DNA, I guess you could say. And and obviously, yes, DNA. And breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, this has to be, it's neshama, neshama, a puff, that is wind, angry or vital breath, inspiration, intellect, okay, inspiration, soul, spirit. So, every species has its own particular type of spirit and also uh, archetype. Because every every living being has to have a blueprint from which it comes from the spiritual world before it can incarnate. So that's what was going on in Genesis chapter 1. But now something very special is going on here where Adam uh, gets breathed into his nostrils directly from Yahweh. And, and there's a corollary in the New Testament where Jesus breathed on somebody he was trying to heal. Okay, and so uh, Yahshua had the same power as, as, of course, the Father did. Back to you. Uh, verse 8. And Yahweh God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Okay, again, formed is Yatsar, not Bara. We're done with creation, now we're forming. Now, um, I don't think there's ever any creation going on in the rest of the Bible. There are past references to uh, the creation days uh, in uh, in other parts of the Bible, but Yahweh does not uh, stop to create anything else throughout the rest of Scripture, okay? 
uh, I'll double check as we uh, continue and and I'll check out the um, usages of bara in the uh, in other passages besides Genesis chapter 1 but it's very rare and only Yahweh creates <laughs> all right he's the only one who who can create anything all right so and again so this is formed and as we pointed out last week he put Adam into this garden okay so this garden, uh, it, it may not even have uh, existed in Genesis chapter 1, but it was formed from the, the terrain that was created in Genesis chapter 1. And uh, Yahweh put Adam in there for a specific purpose. Back to you. Verse 9, And out of the ground made Yahweh God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so the ground, again, we're talking about dirt, <laughs> but we're also talking about the chemical elements, okay, <clears throat> that what goes to form. Now, something special had to be done here to Adam, because every living being, every living creature on the planet is made of those same chemical elements and, uh, you know, what do you call them, enzymes, uh, calcium, silicon, carbon, everything. Uh, every living being is made out of these elements. So there's no, no mystery there. Uh, so, But, of course, the King James translators, they didn't have words like that, right? So they just used the word ground, and ground contains all those elements. Okay, so that's what's being told here. And uh, it, it wasn't a, a scientific concept in those days, but obviously that's what's going on here, okay? So, and then um, every tree. Now here, uh, eights, tree is eights from its firmness. Hence, wood, sticks, gallows, pine, plank, staff, stock, timber, tree. However, we also know that tree is a word very commonly used throughout Scripture, and re related words such as a root, the root of Jesse, <laughs> right? Jesse was a root. Uh, Assyria was a tree. Okay, so that the word tree, this, I'm, um, I'm going to say that this definition of eights by Strong's is very limited. And the, the fact is that the word tree is used so often of human beings that uh, it should have been part of the definition, okay? So it's not always meaning literal trees made of wood, and we'll find out right away. Okay, so right here, the first instance of tree, we are talking about literal plants that have, that may be wood, but, uh, but also good for food, okay? Now the tree of life is something else again. Okay, it's the same word tree, but the entire expression, a tree of life, kahi, that's Kenneth Che, okay, which is, has to be the DNA of Adam kind. Also, in the midst of the garden, it's also uh, metaphorically a reference to Yahshua Messiah. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil can't be a literal tree either. Because no trees or plants know the difference between good and evil. So we have three completely distinct ideas here. The first tree is literal wood or plant. The second tree of life is 
the DNA of our, our species uh, and a reference to Jesus Christ. And the third is a, 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 the, the beings, that uh, di- line of descent, that genome uh, of beings that know the difference between good and evil, which could not have been Adam and Eve because they didn't know the difference yet. So there had to be some kind of critter roaming around in the garden that had this knowledge. Back to you. Well, you know, even in Mark chapter 8, verse 24, Christ said he sees men as trees walking. There you go. Yep. Yeah, now, is that metaphorical? It doesn't matter. It just tells us that the word tree does not always mean literal wood. Family okay. tree. Yeah, family tree. There you go. Yeah, I have a lot of... <laughs> I had a lot of stiff-necked, <laughs> stiff-necked relatives, right? <laughs> they might as well be trees, but yeah, you get the picture here. So Strong's is uh, you know, not done the job here. They could have done better with this. At least metaphorically, suggests that the word "tree" can mean races and species. Back to you. Verse ten, and a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted. It became into four heads. The name of the first is Python. That is it which composes the whole land, Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold, that, and the gold of that land is good. There is Delium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon. The same is that that composes the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittical. That is that which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. Okay, so uh, this is a description of the location of the Garden of Eden, and there, uh, there's been a lot of debate within identity circles whether this is a reference to the Tarim Basin or whether this is a reference to Mesopotamia. Uh, I have come to the conclusion it is indeed Mesopotamia, uh, especially the southern end of it, because there is now archaeological evidence, geological evidence, especially from um, photography from high in the sky, that uh, shows that there were two rivers, and Ethiopia is a reference to the Ethiopian Kush, which is southern Arabia, okay, southern or central Arabia. So there's evidence of two dried-up rivers there, that used to flow, but not anymore. And we know also that the earth at one time was a paradise, an absolute paradise. And evidence under the Sahara Desert is that it was once a paradise. We have all kinds of plant life and animal life uh, evident underneath the Sahara Desert. So once upon a time, the entire planet was like a gigantic greenhouse. There was a greenhouse effect, and of course it said the earth was watered by a mist, not by rain. Okay, so with a greenhouse, if you've ever walked into a greenhouse, <laughs> you can see, you can feel the humidity. Okay, I mean, it's, it, it feels wet just walking into a greenhouse. So uh, this is the situation that obtained on planet earth in those days. So there's absolute evidence now that there are four rivers in what we would call today Southern Arabia. And uh, uh, I don't think we need to dwell on this uh, anymore. We want to get to the meat of the situation here in Genesis chapter 2. Back to you. 
Verse 15, and Yahweh God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And Yahweh okay. God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Okay, so but this the, is the se second time it says that, he, that Adam was put there. Okay, so he obviously had to be living somewhere else before he was put into the garden. Okay, and now uh, and to dress it and to keep it. So Yahweh had a special purpose for Adam. Okay, to uh, tend to, to tend the earth to to make it uh, first of all to look beautiful, but also to be productive. Okay, and that's what we white people are best at. <laughs> Nobody compares to us white people, us Adamites, in dressing and keeping the land. Back to you. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Okay, so now again we have the same metaphorical and literal juxtaposition here. In verse 16, the tree of the garden... Thou mayest freely eat. So we're talking about edible plants. Okay, and garden here it comes from gan or gan, a garden. The Hebrew word is gan. And, uh, and this 17, word eat can be figurative or literal. Yes, actually. it can. Yeah, let's, let's see what it says here. Uh, to eat literally or figuratively. So it, it admits there's a figurative usage of eat. Uh, burn up, consume. Okay, consume is, uh, you know, you can consume a book, <laughs> right? Devour, you can devour a book too, right? Die. Well, remember in, in Ezekiel where uh, Yahweh tells him to eat the roll? That's right. Yeah. But not literally eat it. No, it, it's, it's not a Kaiser roll. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's a scroll, right? It's a paper scroll. So, uh, so um, food... Feed with food, and of course, uh, figuratively, uh, food, uh, w what we read is food, food for the soul, food for our minds, okay? So, the, and the very, the eat, it can actually also mean sexual intercourse. We'd have to do a really detailed word study to find those passages, but that is also the case, all right? So, uh, so here we see, but we're being told there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? Can that be a literal tree? No. No. Absolutely not. Can't be a literal tree. Okay. It has to be one of those figurative trees that we get knowledge from, like a book. Okay. Well, what is DNA? Isn't it the instructions for how to create a physical body? Isn't that like a book? It is. It is. Yeah. Scientists mm -hmm. will admit that. And they'll also admit that DNA, the DNA strand is also a transceiver. It picks up information and it sends out information. <laughs> okay? This is why Bill Goats, I'm going to call him Bill Goats from now on, <laughs> because he is like the goat god Pan, okay, who wants to change our DNA. Don't you know? With his vaccines? Yes, with his vaccines, okay? Evil, talk about evil knowledge <laughs> of the tree of good and evil. There you go. This is it, folks. Bill Goats, okay? Thou shalt not eat of it. So we should not partake of it. And uh, the word eat, although it is et's, 
partake, they didn't include the word partake as part of the definition, but certainly partake is a very good translation. Thou shalt not partake of it, for in the day, yam, again, that thou eatest, it could be any time, not a particular day, but any time that thou, you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Okay, now we're... Was Adam listening when he heard these words from Yah? Not too carefully, I don't think. Back to you. So they were created to be immortal. Amen. Amen. Because it says that thou eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Yeah, they would not have died. Adam and Eve would not have died had they not partaken of the evil tree. Okay. All right, so verse verse eighteen. Let's get to let's get to Eve. Let's get to Eve now. And Yahweh God said, "It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him." Now remember, uh, there, there were already females in uh, female Adamites in Genesis chapter one, because clearly it says, "Male and female made Elohim them." Okay, so there were males and females. And um, there had to be at least eight of every species. I think there were thousands, but there had to be at least eight. And the reason I say that is because um, Harold Kaisersat, who was a, uh, uh, an animal breeder, he did studies on uh, incest in, in animals, okay? And he determined that the only way you could avoid incestuous relationship which which causes all kinds of birth defects and problems in the offspring you had to have eight you had to have four males and four females and if with proper interbreeding of those four males and four females you could avoid incest and there all kinds of birth defects so there had to be at least eight of every species i think there were probably thousands but remember when uh, Noah's flood occurred, Yahweh said, oh, I need eight. I got to have eight. <laughs> okay? <laughs> All right? And that co- corresponds with Harold Kaisersat's studies. Uh, he, he, he bred uh, dogs, horses, and cattle. And he came to this conflu- conclusion that in order to avoid incest, you have to, have, you have to start with at least eight originals. Okay? Four males, four females. Okay, so uh, let's well, let's see. Read, read that verse again, please. And Yahweh God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Okay, so here, uh, and we're going to get to the uh, idea of the rib uh, shortly. But, yeah, so a help meet, and a help meet is a, we're going to find out that it actually means a complement, a complementary person. So, obviously, you have to have, a complementary to the other. They're, they have to be made for each other. It's probably the best way to put it. So, Strong defines it as an aid. Aid, okay. Like yeah. A-I-D-E. <laughs> aid, okay. A-I-D, Hebrew word number 5828. Okay. Yeah. Azer. Yeah. But it means complement. The two are made for each other. They can't do without each other. They have to be yeah, as one. They have to be as one, and of course we get the, the definition of marriage from that concept, okay? So, uh, all right, so help meet is an actual complement, and we'll get into that when we read from Adam's rib by Wayne Simpson. Please continue. 
verse 19, and out of the ground, Yahweh God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Now, this is, uh, there is a recapitulation here. It's simply repeating what the, that Yahweh uh, created the beasts of the field in Genesis chapter 1 and the fowls. It's, and, and he's just simply saying that he used the earth, the material, the elements of dirt, to create uh, their being. We didn't get that information in Genesis chapter 1. Okay, And it said they brought him to Adam. He was the first botanist. He started naming all the creatures around him. Back to you. Verse 20. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. Okay, he's looking for that perfect mate. <laughs> okay, so so are a lot of people, <laughs> and they're not finding it. All right, back to you. Verse 21. And Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. So he gave him a dose of a, a sedative, <laughs> right? Put him under and performed an operation. Now, what was the nature of this operation? Uh, where, um, where is the word rib here? Because I know it's in the... Okay. Well, please uh, continue reading. Uh, it's got to be in... Uh, Genesis chapter 2. Are you looking for the Strong's Concordance meaning of rib? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm looking for the word rib. I don't see it here. Let me, uh, I, th I thought it was in chapter 2. It's uh, Selah in the Hebrew. Hebrew word 6763. Okay. Oh, there it is in verse 22. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay, so just read from 21 to 25, and then we'll, okay. we'll start reading from Adam's rib. Okay. And Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which Yahweh God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And Same she DNA. Shall be Same woman, DNA. That's what that means. Okay. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay, so again, so because, the, number one, they were sinless. They hadn't committed any sin yet, so there's no reason for them to be ashamed. But we're seeing here, we're talking, one flesh, again, we're talking about same DNA. Okay, flesh is um, basar. Flesh from its freshness, by extension, body, person, also by euphemism, pudenda, the, uh, the, the genital area, etc. Okay, so obviously the male and female have different pudenda. And a woman, that's the word isha, basically meaning female, and uh, ish be, meaning male, for when they don't use the word adam. Okay, so... Wherever you see the word man here in these early chapters, it's always from Adam. And the word ish, for which is not the same as Adam, meaning simply a male of a species, and isha, 
meaning a female of a species. That, but here we're talking about Adamites, so it applies to the Adamic species exclusively in uh, Genesis chapter 2. Okay, so now we need to understand that this word rib, let me go to, um, yeah, you said tzila, okay, or tzala, depending on the pronunciation here. So I'm going to share with the people in the chat room this article called Adam's Rib. And uh, it's, it's very good. It really gives us a, a better understanding of what's being talked about here. So take us through it, please, Dan. Okay. The study of the Bible is often fraught with preconceptions, not only in our minds, but also in the minds of scholars, teachers, and theologians who teach us and write the reference material that we rely on. Concepts can be so entrenched and cherished that no one even thinks to question them. Many such notions have been around for centuries or millennia, and they seem to be a part of the very foundation on which we base our beliefs. Sometimes they do not stand up to close scrutiny. Unfortunately, such ideas can conceal the most sublime insights into the scriptures. One such notion is the matter of Adam's rib in the second chapter of Genesis. Everybody knows the familiar story about how God took a rib from Adam and made Eve. The smallest children are taught this story in Sunday schools across the land. Though many scholars find reasons not to take it literally, it is accepted as truth by millions of Christians. There is more here than meets the eye. I will show how it has been widely misunderstood and how that has caused us to miss some very dynamic teaching. Examine the account. Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 to 24. For Adam there was not found a help meet for him, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh." This is really a strange picture if you think about it. Why didn't God just make woman from the ground as he had made Adam? He apparently made male and female of all the animals from the ground. And why a rib instead of a finger or a toe or an ear? The story seems to smack of early Mesopotamian and Greek literature. The god of wisdom was said to be the ear of Ninurta, Athena, goddess of wisdom, sprang from the forehead of Zeus, and Aphrodite, goddess of love, was said to have come from the sea foam that collected around the severed male organ of the god Uranus. <clears throat> in actuality, something far more meaningful is being expressed in this biblical account than making a new person out of a small piece of the body of another. If we look closely at the Hebrew word for rib, we will learn of something quite surprising. The word translated rib in Genesis chapter 2 is selah. The word is used in a number of other places in the Bible, and its meaning is shown to be quite different than what we have imagined. The only other place in the Bible where the English word rib occurs is in Daniel chapter 7, verse 5, translated from an altogether different Hebrew word. One Bible translation dares to break with the use of the traditional word rib. The stone edition of the Chumash renders the verse this way. And he took one of the sides and he filled in the flesh in its place. Right away, you can see that what God took from Adam was a lot more than a small bone. 
But how can this reading be justified? Let us examine other places in the Bible where this Hebrew word is used. We find that it is rendered side in a number of places. Okay, and I think it could also mean uh, a DNA. Because we I was have, about to say that. Yeah, right. Well, DNA. And, and, yeah. And so, and, uh, so the DNA of Adam was adjusted uh, already earlier in chapter 2, and uh, because he had to be made special, a special selection, a divine selection from the Adamites that were created in Genesis chapter 1. But the same thing had to happen to a female, okay? So that they could both be potentially immortal. That's what's going on in Genesis chapter 2. Back to you. Let's look at Exodus chapter 25, verse 12. In referring to the rings of gold on the Ark of the Covenant, it says, two rings shall be on one side. Selo is a variant of Selah. And two rings on the other side. Later in verse 14, it refers to the two sides, which is Selot, T-S-E-L-O-T, the plural form. And in Exodus 37, verse, uh, uh, verses 3 through 5, shows the same description of the ark. Uh, now that's interesting because uh, I, I forgot that Selot, the O-T suffix, can be a plural form in Hebrew. It's overwhelmingly im, like uh, El, El, and Elohim. You know, singular and plural. It's usually im for plural, just as in English it's s. Uh, but uh, there's two plural forms in Hebrew, uh, ot and im. Back to you. In Exodus chapter 27, verse 7, it refers to the two sides, selot, of the altar, upon which staves and rings were attached to bear it. Notice that it refers to only two of the altar's four sides. The two major sides and rear. Similar oh. usage occurs in Exodus chapter 38, oh, hold verse on, hold 7. On. You, you, completely dropped then in Exodus, you completely dropped out for a second, so let I'm, me re repeat it here. The two major sides as opposed to the front and rear. Back to you. Okay. Yeah. Similar usage occurs in Exodus chapter 38, verse 7. Then in Exodus chapter 26, verse 20, the Hebrew word ul selah is used, meaning, and for the side of the tabernacle. This is the same Hebrew word with two initial letters that had the meaning and for. In verse 26, we read of one side, Selah, of the tabernacle, and the second side, Selah, of the tabernacle. In verse 35, we see mentioned a table on the south side, Selah, of the tabernacle, referring this time not just to the outer skin of the tabernacle, but to its south half. Identical usage occurs in Exodus chapter 36, verses 25 and 31. Notice that in each of these accounts, there is nothing resembling a rib or pillar-like structural member. It refers to an entire side, essentially half of a structure. This is very different from the notion of Adam's rib. But let's continue. In 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 34, we see a description of folding doors consisting of two sides or panels, selim, the masculine plural form. These two panels were identical, each comprising half of the assembly. These were parts of Solomon's temple. At that time, this Hebrew word for side began to be used in connection with associated components of the sides of the temple. Chambers or side compartments, selot, were built along the sides of the temple, 1 Kings Chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. 
Also, the planks which formed the sides of the most holy place were given the same name, batsalot, meaning in the sides. Here again, we see no hint of the notion of a rib or similar superstructure of any kind. In Job chapter 18, verse 12, Job refers to calamities at his side, la salat. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 10, speaks of fear on every side. It would be ludicrous to speak of fear at every rib. <laughs> oh, my ribs hurt. <laughs> <laughs> this makes perfect sense, though. Yes. Yes. The only mention which might remotely be construed as anything like a rib is this. In Second, uh, Second Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside, bat Selah, and cursed as he went. While the new brown driver Briggs Gesenius Hebrew English lexicon suggests that this is the ridge or the rib of the hill, this seems to be interpreted because this episode could have taken place on one of the sides of the hill as easily as on the ridge of the hill. From the context, you simply cannot tell which it is. Because of the preponderance of usage of the word side as the translation, it seems likely that should that should be the meaning here as well. We conclude from this analysis that there is no real justification to render the word in Genesis 2.21 as Adam's rib. Rather, it should be Adam's side. As a result, a new and bold imagery begins to emerge from Genesis 2.21. What is really meant by the use of the word side? Was it the side of his torso, like a side of beef? Did it include an arm or a leg? Once we are freed from the notion of a rib, what really makes sense here? I suggest that what is meant here is virtually an entire side or half of Adam's body. There are several Hebrew words that express the notion of half, chiefly variants of the verb chatzah, which means to divide. The word is most often used to signify having, having a weight or volume or quantity of some substance, whereas the examples we previously mentioned seem to refer to a side. That is, a half of an object or structure. That is especially clear in Exodus chapter 20, verse 35, where a table is located in one side or one half of the tabernacle. Okay, so I would say at this point what, what's being expressed here is that Adam needs, needs to have a perfect complement of the female with the exact same DNA, all right? And the breath of life breathed into her, just like him, so that they are a perfect match, side by side. So uh, this mythology that was created by the rabbis that uh, the, the species was uh, one time hermaphroditic, namely having both male and female genitalia, is a total myth. The Bible teaches no such thing. We started out male and female, but Yahweh had to adapt the existing Adamites to incorporate into them the Holy Spirit, or what's called in those days the Shekinah glory, so that they could have the Shekinah glory inhabiting their bodies. Back to you. Now consider the implications of this. God literally divided Adam in half to create a woman for him. This is a much more powerful symbol than merely taking a small bone out of his side. Eve was every bit the man Adam was, pardon the pun. In fact, in Genesis 1.27, it says, In the image of God, he created him, 
male and female, he created them. There you go. Suggesting complete equality. Yeah, no, hold on. Uh, I don't think think this is to be taken literally, as he suggests here. I think what's going on is he literally took our DNA, right? Our DNA, which happens when it divides, it separates and then recombines uh, in the zygote to form a new human being. I'm, I'm suggesting he did the same thing with Adam and Eve's DNA so that Adam would have a perfect female complement and that they would you know, be designed to work together. Back to you. So rib was really a horrible yes. translation. Terrible. Terrible. Just like, just like the word beast. That and like the word stress. day. <laughs> right? Okay. <clears throat> Eve began literally as half of Adam. Even today, people sometimes refer to their spouse as their other half. Well, or only, better, or half. better half. Only men say speak of women as their better half. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> we don't get the same uh, same politeness. Back to you. And that seems somehow appropriate. Of course, God closed the flesh to restore Adam to wholeness, though not specifically stated. It is clear God did the same for Eve in the process of fashioning her into a woman. How appropriate the language used in Genesis. The words bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh take on new significance. Even the expressions are grammatically symmetrical. I would say it didn't form Eve into a woman. She was already a woman, but a special operation was done to her so that she would be able to retain the Shekinah. I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting what's going on here is genetic, not, not physical like a side of beef. Okay, back to you. The traditional mythical interpretation of Adam's rib is of very long standing. We do not know when it first began, but it is clear that the ancient Hebrews did not understand this episode in the way moderns do. When Genesis and Exodus were written, the concept was one of Adam's side, not his rib. Amen. Remarkably, we had the testimony of a Jewish authority of about 2,000 years ago on this issue. You think he meant to say Jewish here? No, it was, it's Judahite. Yeah, Judahite would be a much yeah. better translation here. Right. Philo Judeus addressed the subject thus. The letter of this statement is plain enough, for it is expressed according to the symbol of the part, a half of the whole, each party, the man and the woman, being as sections of nature co-equal for the production of that genus which is called man. Okay, it's, it's genetic. Right? It's all genetic. Yep. Yeah, it's all genetic. Back to you. Uh, this comes from the works of Philo, page 796. Now, that proves he's not a Jew. <laughs> he actually has intelligence, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's actually explaining it correctly, which you never get from a Jew. Back to you. And notice also the Hebrew words usually rendered help meet. This rendering is such an anemic translation for what is being expressed. We're talking about blood, right? Anemic blood. <laughs> the expression in Hebrew is azar kanegdo. In every case in the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew word azar means not just assistance, but a significant and substantial kind of help. Look at some examples. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 14. Zedekiah had all those about to help azar him, all his bands. This is clearly referring to Zedekiah's armed men. Daniel chapter 11, verse 34. The expression helped with a little help in this context seems also to refer to military intervention. 
Isaiah chapter 30, verse 5. This verse refers to seeking help in the form of military protection from the king of Egypt. All these examples refer to substantial and powerful help or protection, the kind you could get from armed men, not just a little help or hand-holding. Continue, Exodus chapter 18, verse 4. For he, God, was my help. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 29. The Lord, the shield of thy help. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 7. Be thou, the Lord, a help to him from his enemies. Okay, so this word help is much more substantial than uh, somebody standing by your side ready to uh, help you cook dinner or something, right? It's actually more of a um, help as in uh, you're in a battle. Or a war. Right. It's it's crucial. It's a crucial type of help. It's very, very significant, very important. Okay, please continue. In these examples, we see an even more powerful type of help from God himself. It is clear that this was not just help, but real substantial deliverance. There was nothing puny about it. The point is to show that Eve was created as a capable, intelligent force to be reckoned with. She was every bit as qualified and adept as Adam. This was not simply a let me hold the flashlight for you, honey, kind of help. No, reload my gun for me, honey. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. what it's talking about. Here. Right. Exactly. And the Hebrew word kenegdo is charged with meaning as well. It means more than just suitable. It carries the meaning of opposite. She was an opposite to him. This is literally what you would expect since she was formed from his other half or side. Perhaps it would be better to say she was his compliment. That's yeah, that's right. a much better translation. As that's the best word, compliment. Complementaries. Yeah. They're complementary to each other. Opposites, but complement each yes. other at the same time. The two were made to work and fit together. She was opposite in gender, but opposite in many other ways as well. No man can be married for any length of time without realizing that his wife thinks and behaves in a very different way than he does. She views things very differently. Her concerns are quite unlike his. Eve was made to be everything Adam was not. She was his complement. Now, interesting, in terms of uh, sight, women have much more sharp sight. They see colors more brightly, and, 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 and often men are even colorblind. I, I think that's completely absent in women. Uh, I've never heard of a colorblind woman. If it is, it's extremely rare. But I meet colorblind men all the time. In fact, uh, a customer recently asked me, hey, Eli, uh, what color is this? <laughs> I said, well, it's mauve. He said, what's mauve? <laughs> well, it's kind of a shade between brown and pink. I don't know the best way I could describe it. He said, oh, okay, well, I'll let you pick it. <laughs> right? Because he couldn't see that color. Okay. And he can't see shades of what we call off-white. So that's why most women are interior decorators and men are the painters. You give me the paint, honey. I'll paint it. Okay? <laughs> that makes sense. Right. Okay. Back to you. Now, Adam was faced with the realization that he was not unique and he was not alone. To find completeness and wholeness, he would want to take a wife. This longing for wholeness is a popular theme in our modern love songs. Ultimately, she is the key to the meaning of his life and vice versa. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Neither can be complete without the other. 
So this old story that was once a rather bizarre metaphor, a woman created from a rib, can now be understood to be a powerful, meaningful, and beautiful symbol for the most profound relationship in human existence. It's very clear that in the beginning, God gave woman absolutely equal status with man. Okay, now all of this romance that's built into this article, I don't think it applies to the other races either. It only applies to Adam kind. Because I don't see this kind of uh, appreciation, of uh, spousal appreciation, in blacks, in Latinos. You know, you know, in fact, it's, it might even be worse among Latinos. The, the uh, what do you call it? The, um, uh, the, uh, oh, the, the, the masculine dominance over the female in that society. Machismo, macho, right? That's way worse in Latino society than just about anywhere else, okay? And uh, we, we men try to restrain ourselves. <laughs> we white men try to restrain ourselves, right? <laughs> but you don't see that kind of restraint in Latino society, you know? Women are just playthings in Latino, in machismo society. That's also true in black society. Uh, not as common in Oriental society, certainly not among the Japanese. However... What you have is the the behind the scenes society in Japan, of uh, you know they they have mistresses. What what do they call those women that dress up? They they paint their faces white and uh, dress up in kimonos, right? They're basically prostitutes, and so that's a very very strong culture in in Japan and China. Okay, so. Uh, Every one of these cultures, they do not have this suggestion that the woman is the equal in terms of a compliment. Uh, I don't see that except in Adam kind. Back to you. I think our enemies have done a good job of getting us to fight amongst each other, you yep. know, you know, with feminism and, and, and that kind of thing. Yes, yes. And so, okay, so we have about four minutes left. So... Uh, so I think we have a better understanding of what's happening in Genesis chapter 2. It's not rib, it's tzila, it's side. And I think we're talking about genetic sides, okay, that uh, Adam need to have a perfect complement, female complement, so that the species could reproduce kind after kind. But even more importantly, the spiritual aspect is being talked about here. The breath of life was breathed into Adam by Yahweh. And he had to have a female complement in order to reproduce. That's what we're talking about here, okay? And this he called marriage. They shall be one flesh, echad, united, a united flesh. We're supposed to be united. Uh, marriage is supposed to be united, be, you know, uh, like one flesh, okay? It doesn't always work out that way, but that's what it's supposed to be. And then, uh, verse 25, they were both naked, and that is arame, nude, either partially or totally, uh, the, uh, the Adamite and his woman, Nashim, or, or Isha. Okay, there's actually two different words here, Isha and Nashim. I'm wondering which one it is. But in any case, and they were not ashamed of their nakedness because they had not committed any sins yet. Okay, so... Now I think we have a, a good, because Genesis chapter 3 is way different, 
way different from Genesis chapter 2 because there is another critter introduced in Genesis chapter 3 which is not of the Adam species. Not of the Adam species, okay? But we do have beast of the field. And okay, uh, yeah, uh, we kind of glossed over that beast of the field and the word field and uh, verse 20, sade, meaning to spread out field, flat, uh, country, field, ground, land, soil, okay? So we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, it hasn't been plowed yet, but we're talking about soil, okay, for growing things. Beast of the field. And so uh, that's different from beast of the earth. Beast of the earth is simply, you know, uh, the, these various species that we encountered in Genesis chapter 1 that were being created there. So a beast of the field, what we're going to find out, is a beast that is uh, capable of helping Adam tend the garden, tend the soil, help, helping him farm. That's that's what we're being told in Genesis 2.20. And I think we can do a little more detail about that next week when we get, just before we get into Genesis chapter 3. Okay, Dan? Sounds good. Good stuff. Really good Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. All right. We'll so hit bye. chapter 3 next week. Yeah. Oh, man. And we've, we encounter Nakash, the evil creature <laughs> that begat Cain, folks. Nakash, and it was not a literal snake. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, Dan. We'll see you next week. Praise Yahweh. And take care, everybody.